Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're back here to talk about the West Coast port situation. We're going to be talking to uh, that that uh, topic in a, out of a couple of aspects. One, we're going to be talking in the latter part of the show about all of the pain that people are feeling. But in the first part of the show, we're going to be talking to uh, someone we've had a chance to get on the show here at the last minute. We're glad he's with us. Uh, but let me also uh, I talked to uh, my co-host, Lou Weiss, who is the president of All Metals and Forge Group, and by the way, is the sponsor of Manufacturing Talk Radio, and why we're on the air. Lou, how are you today? Cold. Really cold. <laughs> we, we had five-degree temperature yesterday morning, and today I think it's around 15. Um, but thank goodness I'm not in Boston. Uh, they may have to call out the National Guard for them yet. But other than that, I'm doing great, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, they're indeed. Some of them haven't seen their cars in weeks. <laughs> uh, they may not get them until April or May. That's very true. Uh, we're going to jump right into our topic today. Uh, we are very honored to have the Honorable uh, a Congressman from Iowa, uh, Rod Blum, is here with us. He is Iowa's uh, first congressional district representative. Um, he graduated from uh, Loris College and also has an MBA from the University of Dubuque. And after graduating, he entered the software industry and set out to achieve his version of the American dream. And he became president and CEO of Dubuque-based Eagle Point Software. He was elected to Congress in November of 2014 and sworn in as a member of the 114th Congress. Uh, Rod, thank you for being on our show today. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Tim. Appreciate it. And Lou, uh, very much. Uh, I heard uh, they had a foot of snow in Washington. I'm back in Iowa today, and uh, I think they shut down the government. So I just it's it's a good day for our freedom and our liberties. Uh, they're safe if uh, if Congress is not in session. <laughs> no, this, this is this is a congressman's comment. Understand, however, that uh, Mr. Blum is a businessman at heart. So that's why we have him on Manufacturing Talk Radio, and we're sure glad he's here. Oh, yes, uh, definitely a businessman at heart. Uh, I often said during our campaign, if more people in Congress had signed the fronts of paychecks, uh, it would be a much different Congress. <laughs> You're right about that. Does this man work for well, I, I just think I just think there's a lack of understanding uh, on Capitol Hill of how difficult it is to start a business, how, how difficult it is to meet a payroll, how difficult it is to compete. Uh, you know, sometimes against your own government, and uh, and also to be competitive with the regulations and rules that uh, you know the EPA and, and other organizations of the government put on the backs of entrepreneurs. I've often said if we just would get off the backs and out of the back pockets of our business people, uh, they'll do what's in their DNA, and that's to grow their companies and employ people. And uh, I just, uh, you know, the government uh, is, is always hyperactive and think they, thinks they need to control everything. And, uh, you know, the, the beauty of, of, the, of the free enterprise system is it's given us the most prosperity in the, in the world, in the history of the world. So, yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a business person, and uh, I absolutely love manufacturing through and through. Ron, what do I have to do to vote for you? I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You don't sound like part of our government. Well... Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a compliment. I'll, I uh, <laughs> appreciate that very much. <laughs> well, Rod, what is going on with the West Coast ports? I know that the, the uh, president set out the labor secretary to powwow with them. Any progress? Uh, well, uh, we're all aware there's a slowdown, and it came to my attention uh uh, right after I was sworn into office, uh, I started uh, receiving phone calls from our uh, pork producers in Iowa. We export a tremendous billion dollars, billions of dollars amount of pork every year, and it's perishable. And uh, they're concerned, you know, it's sitting on the docks uh, in Long Beach and uh, on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, it can uh, the quality goes down the longer it sits. And if it sits long enough, I mean, it's going to spoil. And then I started hearing from uh, furniture manufacturers, and I started hearing from uh, people involved in the hardware, hardwood industry in my district. And 
so I, I uh, our, our our congressional office took the lead, and uh, we wrote a letter to President Obama about three weeks ago, and uh, we got the other congressional members in Iowa to sign off on it, uh, including the two United States senators, and uh, that was sent to the president uh, about I think two and a half weeks ago. And then I also, I also participated in the bipartisan joint press conference we held last week in Washington about this issue. Uh, as I was telling Lou, uh, you know, I don't think our economy is is all that good. Uh, you know, I would call it, uh, you know, fragile is the word I mm-hmm. use to describe it. And uh, this slowdown uh, is, you know, I, I heard it could cost us a full point in GDP for the quarter. And I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, you know, I know there's uh, just off of Long Beach alone, there's over 30 ships docked off port. And uh, it, it, it's just causing problems, particularly in the. I mean, when we have a, when you have a perishable product like we export from Iowa, that that's a big issue. We don't want you know we don't want beef or pork uh, sitting there at the dock and, and, and spoiling. So uh, so I got involved since I'm a business person, and uh, I ran on let's get this economy going again, let's get the uh, working families' wages increasing again, and uh, uh, you know I thought this is a, this is something that's holding us back. So uh, that, that that's why we got involved. Uh, Ron, not to uh, correct you, but the latest figure as of this morning is that there are 58 ships offshore with a total of 400,000 containers sitting on ships. That does not include everything that's on the ground in the particular terminals. So we, we really have a dire situation uh, going on here. And uh, that's uh, just wanted to bring you up to the latest the latest news. I was I was I, yes, uh, uh, it's even worse than I had thought. Uh, I, I was speaking to the uh, congressional representative from the Long Beach area, and uh, she had said uh, this was a couple days ago during that press conference. She had said that uh, basically everything's been agreed upon between the two parties. Uh, that the big stumbling block was the rules for removing arbitrators. You know, for future, uh, if there were future problems, uh, it always goes to arbitration, typically, if it can't be agreed to. And uh, that, that's what they're arguing over. I don't know if that's true, but that's her district, and she's very connected to it. So, uh, uh, gosh, if we're that close, uh, I'm glad the president uh, did send uh, Secretary uh, uh, Perez out there, and uh, let, let, let's get this thing, uh, let's get this thing over with. Let me ask you a question for the benefit of uh, our listeners. Uh, with regards to the Taft-Hartley Act, does the uh, uh, union actually have to go on strike, or could there be a threat of a slowdown uh, for the president to be able to invoke the Taft-Hartley? Are, are no, that's a good up- question. I haven't uh, researched the legality of that. I, I believe President Bush invoked Taft-Hartley at one point in his his presidency, I believe, uh, he did. But I, I, I can't recall if that was an actual strike or if it was just a work slowdown. Uh, I, I, I don't want to give you a wrong answer, so I have not yeah. researched that. That's a very good question. Well, it only took him 10 days to make the decision. Uh, uh, Mr. O is taking considerably longer. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and, and then there's longer-term ramifications, I think, to, to the slowdown. Uh, you know, the ships are much bigger. Uh, I did a little research on the topic, uh, and uh, TEUs are uh, 20-foot equivalent units. That's kind of the way they measure the size of the ships. And I think in the past, a, a 10,000 TEU ship was was relatively standard. That's what can fit through the Panama Canal. And uh, the ships today are, are some, some are being built 22,000, 24,000 TEUs. Uh, so, so two, over two times as large as the ships today is one trend that's going on. And then, secondly, I think these types of work slowdowns are going to are going to lead to more automation, you know, in in our ports and our docks, and particularly, uh, you know, loading and unloading these these massive mega ships. Uh, I can just see automation, uh, you know, starting to uh, be implemented uh, more and more in the future uh, to try to, uh, you know, it's 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 not good uh, when robots are doing it from a labor standpoint, no doubt. Uh, but uh, I can also see where uh, uh, when we have robotics involved, there's not going to be uh, as much of a work slowdown or stoppage as we have today. Well, taking uh, that comment into account, uh, if you wind up having a port basically uh, shutting down, 
losing business, somewhere along the line you're going to lose employees. And uh, it seems as though that's the direction that uh, California is going and that they're they're not mindful of the fact that business is looking to leave. Do, do you have any sense on that? Yeah. Well, and uh, yes, I uh, we were just talking before the show uh, how a large uh, shipper and engine, I believe, uh, is leaving, uh, for the most part, Portland and going to Seattle, uh, okay. in part, I think, because of the ability to handle larger ships and, and automation as well. But, but I know that uh, a large, well, I shouldn't say a large amount, but a fair amount of uh, the business has been, um, has gone from the West Coast to the East Coast ports now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that you... <laughs> Uh, California of all states should be well aware uh, of what it, what it's what the costs are in terms of losing jobs. I campaigned uh, back in March. Uh, I'm sorry, back in October, before the election with Governor Perry from uh, Texas, and Texas has a tremendous story to tell. Uh, you know, uh, to lead the nation in job creation at all pay levels, and uh, you know, and I think I think uh, Governor Perry would be the first to say that they're the benefactor of. Uh, of government overreach in California and high taxation and, and, and high regulations in California. That's that goes back probably. to, I think, you know, I think uh, as uh, I'm so glad you, you do this blog, uh, as I was telling Lou, you know, I, I'm a small business person and I think we need to be active in politics. I, 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 as I say, we're the good guys. We're not the bad guys. And by gosh, we got to stand on the rooftops and start yelling that. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad you do this. And, and, uh, you know, I, capital's portable. And uh, it'll always move uh, to where it's treated uh, treated well, and that's why I think you see, you know, uh, California losing uh, businesses, and they're moving to places like Texas, where uh, now, where, the, where capital and the investment is, is is treated much better than in California. Now, when you say you're the good guys, are you talking uh, as a businessman or as a congressman? Oh, I'm saying as a businessman. I just uh, <laughs> and I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but. Uh, I've campaigned for over two years, and small business people feel like this president is is constantly blaming them, you know, for you know whether he's calling them the one percent or he's saying that they need to uh, pay their fair share or they need to do more. They just feel like they are being you know uh, uh, singled out by by this president in a negative way, and quite frankly, they're tired of it. And uh, you know the, these are people that are that are themselves working 80, 90 hours a week. That if it gets tough, they get paid last. You know they're creating jobs. They love their employees. Uh, I haven't met a small business person that doesn't love their employees, and and they just feel like they're being singled out by this administration in a negative light. And that's why I mean it's like you know I, I think employers and small business people uh, by and large are the good guys. It, it, you know it's it's what our system is built on is is the, is the private sector. That is actually right. This this country was founded on capitalism, and 99% of all business is small business. So uh, I'm glad you're there in Congress as a business person who was elected to not just represent uh, the first district of Iowa, but really to get the message out across the entire nation. I happen to hail from the state of Wisconsin next door to you there. And talking about working hard, I don't know anybody that works harder than a farmer does. How are the farmers being affected by this, Congressman? Well, just as I said a couple of minutes ago, uh, uh, particularly in uh, the livestock area, whether it's beef or or, or it's pol- pork or it's poultry, I mean, their products are perishable. And uh, when they're sitting at the docks, they're losing value. And uh, we have I have uh, some very large meat packers in my in my district, and uh, they're 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 starting to have temporary layoffs. They're, they're, they're people are working fewer hours because they, mm-hmm. they, they want to slow down the volume of, of product going through their plants because they're afraid it's just going to you know get backed up and sit out at the dock, and the value goes down every day it's sitting there. And, and if it sits there long enough, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's basically not sellable. So they're slowing down, uh, which makes sense. That, that, that's a rational reaction to what's going on. But that means the workers you know, are, are making less money now. And uh, I ran. I ran on the premise: I want the economy to to get reignited, and I want working families' incomes to go up because they've been stagnant, and that we need to get the economy booming for that to happen. And uh, so this is uh, this is a step in the wrong direction. I'd like to go back to a, a point a moment or so ago when we were talking about the small businessman being the backbone. 
in many cases, the small businessman who earns uh, uh, his daily pay is earning less than what some of the union workers on the docks are making at $147,000 a year, three years into the job. So it's not like we have to feel sorry for the ILWU uh, workers. They, they, they are making more than a day's pay. Oh, yeah, I, I will guarantee you that most small business people in my district, uh, you know, they're not making $100,000 a year. Uh, so, so as far as uh, you know, as far as uh, feeling sorry for the for these workers, uh, I know the cost of living's higher out there, but uh, there's not going to be a lot of sympathy going their direction on this deal. And I think 100% of their health care is paid for as well. Uh, and health care costs have been. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons working families, at least in Iowa here, their incomes haven't been increasing. It's because of health care costs. I mean, the employer's been picking up more and more. Uh, uh, you know, the health care increases. And uh, they're, you know, three and four times the rate of inflation. And uh, that's why they, you know, uh, I, I still own a, a software company. And uh, sometimes we have to make that tough choice. Do we, are we going to continue to pay X percentage of the premium or are we going to give raises? We can't, some some years we can't do both, especially when the economy's not not uh, booming. So uh, we need to get the economy going again. And, and to that extent, we need to, you know, we need to, America needs to be the place to be uh, for a business. You know, and we want to get some of this manufacturing back from offshore and back from China, but we need to get you know the regulatory uh, burdens off the backs of small business people and reform the highest corporate tax rates in in the world and uh, uh, get the EPA under control, for example. And I think it'd go a long way toward uh, seeing our economy boom again. And, and you're talking about picking up the economy, uh, Congressman. Uh, you know, as Lou and I have talked to business owners on the on the show. We've talked to the ISM. Everybody kind of speaks to the fact that the economy is fragile and they're cautiously optimistic. You've expressed the same thing. Give us your point of view on the fragility of the economy. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I campaigned uh, the last this last cycle 587 days, uh, almost seven days a week. Uh, and so so I, I know what I see and I know what I hear. And, and I've often said I don't need a poll to tell me what's going on out there. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the job creation under this administration has been uh, at the very lowest end of the pay scales. Uh, they've been minimum wage type of jobs. And, uh, you know, we, we, need, we need wages that a, a family can live on and that they can raise a family on and afford to buy a home and buy a, a vehicle. And uh, to do that, we need to, you know, manufacturing is a key part of that because manufacturers typically pay more than retailers do, and uh, we need to get the economy going again. And I can just, you know, when, when you see the average wages are not increasing, that, that's a signal right there to me that the economy is not what they said it is. And then if you start looking at the way we used to measure the unemployment rate, uh, and you start looking at labor participation rates being, you know, at, at record lows, and you start seeing where our uh, disability uh, part of, uh, of of Medicare is going to go bankrupt next year because we have a record number of people that have gone from unemployment to disability, and you and you start you start looking at these things, uh, and so so they might say the unemployment rate is down uh, to whatever they say. I mean, I don't buy it for a second. I mean, the real unemployment rate uh, is probably uh, you know it's it could be it could be twice as high as they're saying. Uh, they just don't I, I count agree. so many people. They don't like the number. Let's change the way we compute it. That's right. You know, that's typical wash. Exactly. Oh, you know, I always say I'm on the budget committee in Washington, and I said only in this city is a decrease and an increase a cut. Only in Washington. <laughs> you know, that goes back to baseline budgeting. And, uh, you know, I said I, I'm in the private sector. I'm in the, I have to operate in the real world. And, uh, you know, a decrease and an increase in my world is still an increase. But in Washington, D.C., it's a draconian cut. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, so I don't. I don't think the economy is is as strong as advertised, and uh, I think evidence of that is is the income gap continues to widen under this president, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, and our middle class under this president and his policies is shrinking, and it is going away, and we 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 will cease to be a great nation if we do not have a strong middle class, and and, and I know the answer to having a strong middle class isn't to take from somebody who's productive and give it to somebody who's unproductive. The, 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 the solution is to make the unproductive person work and make them productive. 
And uh, that, that's what we need to do, and that's driven by the economy because the government's a zero-sum game. Uh, every job the government creates, they tend to take the money from a citizen, and that, that's zero net gain. Uh, only in the private sector can true prosperity uh, be created. Ronald Reagan said it in the 80s. He said no nation can tax and spend its way to prosperity. And he was right then, and he's right today. And I think that's exactly what we have been doing for the last six years is taxing and spending and borrowing and printing our way to what we think is going to be prosperity. And it hasn't materialized, but it's no surprise because it doesn't work. Well, as long as you have checks, you have money. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I introduced a bill to audit the Federal Reserve because uh, I don't I don't like the idea of Federal Reserve printing money. Uh, you know, it artificially uh, it creates an artificial economy. It, it creates a scenario where there's investments made uh, that wouldn't typically be made in certain areas because they tend to look good at the time, and those bubbles always burst. And and we've seen uh, you know we've seen numerous bubbles burst in the last 30 years. And I don't want to see a bubble economy. I want to see an economy b- built on and based on a solid foundation. Well, you've got a lot of hard work ahead of you, and uh, your comments are. Thanks for reminding are, me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your comments I, I know that's why I signed up for this. I love the country. I love Americans, and uh, it's something I had to do uh, to try to help the country. And uh, I just want to see us have a strong middle class again. Well, your comments are very think, refreshing. What do you think the government is really going to do about tax reform? You know, they've talked about it for ages, and. No one's more bludgeoned by it than the manufacturing base. Is someone really going to get to tax reform, or is this just talk to keep the people at bay? Yeah, that's a great question, and I've been there 40 days. I wish I, you know, I wish I definitively could give you a great answer. Uh, I'm on the budget committee, and uh, you know, it, it's discussed often. But taxation uh, falls within the Ways and Means Committee, and that's headed now by uh, Congressman Paul Ryan. And uh, you know, I'm hopeful under Ryan's leadership. Uh, he put together a, a plan, a budget for prosperity, when he was in the head of the budget committee, which balanced the budget uh, over a 10-year period and uh, reduced our debt, uh, re- reduced our increase in debt down tremendously. And uh, hopefully he'll have that. I think he'll have that, we'll see that leadership in ways and means. I, you know, guys, what a lot of this comes down to is political courage. And, you know, I, I didn't run for this job to have a career at it. I, I ran because, like I said, I love the country and I want, you know, I want to see the middle class restored. I, I have courage. I'm willing to stand up and say, let's reform the corporate tax code. It's the highest in the world. For, in fact, let's reform that along with the individual tax code because a lot of people out there are subchapter S, as I am today. So, so we, let's, let's reform this tax code. Let's reward productivity. Let's re- reward investment and reward savings. And uh, I have the courage to do it. I don't know. Sometimes I think it's just a lack of courage. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, like you just said, uh, it's talked about and mentioned often. So to, 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 to allow manufacturers and small business people to be hopeful. But uh, at some point, I mean, we don't see it and we don't see it and we don't see it. And uh, you start, to, you know, you start to question is it ever going to be done? So you know, I, 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 I raise my hand. You know, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take the arrows uh, if it be, because because uh, I believe in it. I believe we need to do that. It's, it's a big piece of the puzzle, and I don't do that to help make rich people richer. I do that because I want a strong middle class, and that has to come through the private sector. And we got, you know, we can't compete globally when we have the highest corporate tax rate in the world. We just can't compete globally, and uh, we need we need to. I mean, we we should have one of the lower. Corporate. Can you imagine if we have one of the lowest corporate tax rates in the world? Can you, with our legal system that we have in place, and uh, we're for the most part we're a nation of laws. Can you imagine the companies that would come here, that would want to locate in the United States of America, especially if we get our regulations decreased? I, I, I think it, I think it would unleash. We'd have a rebirth of manufacturing, and we'd have, our economy would be unleashed, and it would be reignited, and the prosperity would be. We'd probably go on a 20-year run. Of prosperity, it could be amazing. Now, maybe I'm idealistic. I don't. I don't know. I've only been there 40 days. Uh, but to me, these <laughs> these things I talk about, they're doable. I don't think they're that complicated, you know. And I think we make them complicated. And uh, let's do it. And I, I'm willing to do it. I have the courage to do it because I care about Americans and I care about the middle class. And I want to see them doing well. I don't want to see them on food stamps. You know, the answer isn't to have more people dependent on the government. The answer is to have more people in control of their own lives. I mean, that is the American way. I'm convinced of that. 
I think I, I, you're I, you're 40. Off my soapbox. I feel like I'm on my soapbox here, guys. No, That's you're, okay. You're <laughs> saying the right thing. I think your 40 days is a huge advantage instead of being in office 35 or 40 years and only care about the next election. So uh, for that, I give I you credit. Oh, thank I you. you. I, do, I do happen to agree with that. It just seems like the, the whole town's based on seniority, and uh, the longer you've been there, yep. um, I don't know what word to say. Uh, I, I won't say a word. Just the longer you've been there, I don't know. Uh, you probably lose some of your, Let me put it this way. You probably lose some of your idealism, I would say, and maybe some of your fight, and, some, and maybe you forget some of the reasons you originally went there. That, 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 well, you know, I can't speak for the others. That's just a guess on my Sure, I understand. No, and and I, just a curiosity question, because it really is a constitutional question. You're a member of the House Budget Committee, and it seems to me that Congress is charged with uh, passing a budget every year, not a continuing resolution. Are you there to hopefully change that? I mean, as a businessman, you did a budget every year. As a household, I run a household. I do a budget for the household every month. Can the government really do a budget every year? Yes, you, you sound like uh, exactly what I say in my, during my campaign. You know, I said your household does a budget and that balances, and if, you, if your income's down, you make the cuts necessary. Your city does, your county does, the state of Iowa does, for example. You know, why in the heck can't the United States government? And that's an applause line 100% of the time. Uh, you brought up continuing resolutions. I'm a business guy. I'm, I'm used to planning. You know, and this idea that let's wait, let's wait to the eleventh hour when it's a crisis, and and then they present leadership presents a bill to us, and I'm afraid this might happen on the Homeland Security bill. I hope not, though, but it, it might. You know, at the eleventh hour they present a bill and say you've got to vote for it or or else. You know, and I, I have steadfastly said if I don't have time to read the bill, I'm a no vote. You know, and secondly, let's quit. Let's quit kicking the can down the road. Have some courage. Let's do. Let's 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 have courage and and make some decisions, and and, and do it in advance so things can be debated and all parties can weigh in. And yeah, that's that's sometimes that takes time. And yes, that may not be fun, but let's do it. That's the way. That's called regular order, and we need to return to it. And one of the reasons I voted against Speaker Boehner uh, for for House Speaker is because There's of that crop bill. Well, one of them was the Cromwell bus bill, where you know we spent 1.1 trillion dollars. It was given to Congress the night before. It's 1,100 pages long, and they said, you know, mm-hmm. you got to vote yes on this. Now, I wasn't there for that, but I certainly have heard about it and read about it, and I think it's the wrong way to do business. And uh, you know, once again, I'm a business guy. Let's, let's, can't we do this thing a few days in advance, <laughs> preferably a few months in advance? Uh, so you know. You refer so I guess, to regular I, I guess order. I'm doing enough. I ask those stupid questions. <laughs> yeah, you ask the honest questions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, and uh, I also introduced legislation to uh, for term limits and to get rid of congressional pension program. So uh, I may not be the uh, most uh, popular guy on Capitol Hill these days. <laughs> well, the question then becomes: When are, when are you declaring for presidency for 2016? Because you're talking <laughs> all the way. <laughs> You've only been there 40 days. That's long enough. (laughs) Oh, you're too kind. Rod, I'd like to ask you a question you brought up a moment ago about Homeland Security. And we all know that Homeland Security's got a budget issue. They're looking to cut their their funding uh, rather significantly, actually. Uh, Do you see any uh, tie-in between uh, Homeland Security, either in its present state or a reduced state, and the issue that's going on at the ports? Do you see a Homeland Security issue that could cause us Homeland Security issues as a result of the uh, ports shutting down, slowing down, uh, not getting parts, whether it's overseas or shipping them overseas? I would. uh, That's a great question. And once again, uh, when I don't have the uh, a researched answer, I, I, I'll defer. Uh, I, I would hope the Department of Defense has uh, has ways to be able to keep our equipment, uh, you know, with parts and whatever else our service people need uh, overseas. Uh, I, I hope there's a way, both overseas and domestically. I hope they have a way to uh, deal with this type of thing. If they don't, uh, I'm going to check on that. That's a great question. If they don't, that's an issue. Uh, but you know when, when, I, when I hear about when I hear about ISIS and when I hear about the the terrorist threats, immediately what I start to think of is is 
is is bu- is building a border, you know, because we have we have porous border, and oh. uh, that that I yes. mean, let, let let let's defend our homeland. Uh, let let's make sure that the border's secure. I mean, that's another thing that's driving down working families' wages, by the way. Uh, but secondly, uh, you know, these containers that come through our ports. I mean, how many of them are screened? How many of them are X-rayed? Uh, when this when we start having these types of slowdowns, what ha- what's going to happen once it's once it's resolved, and uh, you know that, that that's another place where, where uh, potential explosive devices could could come into the country is through our ports. So I, I, I question that as well. But great question, and, I, and I, I'm going to research that next week when we get back in Washington. Well, I'd like if uh, you come up with a uh, answer, I'd sure like to hear about it because this is something that uh, has been concerning me. Uh, I've looked into uh, a program called CTPAT, which is a a security program for the containers that are coming into the country, as well as the certification of the shippers who are shipping the containers into this country. And if you you have chaos at the ports, uh, Lord knows what could happen at the ports with regards to these containers. So uh, if you don't have Homeland Security backing this up, uh, I'm afraid that there could be serious problems there. I I, I totally agree with you, and that's something uh, I, I'm going to look into to see uh, that if the Department of Defense, uh, you know, has a way when this type of thing happens to make sure that uh, that our our great enlisted people are getting everything that they need, uh, even during whether it's a, a strike or a slowdown. Good question. I will check into that. Well, that in fact is why President Bush in 2002 invoked Taft Hartley because they were gearing up for the Iraq war and the uh, uh, unions, actually the PMA locked out the unions, so they couldn't move goods, so they couldn't gear up for the war. And that went to a, a federal judge. It took 10 days to get approval from the federal judge to actually be able to invoke Taft-Hartley in the 80-day cooling off period. So uh, you are absolutely right, Congressman, that we have to support constantly our troops here and our troops overseas. I would hate to think that we ever leave them dangling on a thin thread anywhere in the world. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Gentlemen, uh, I have to uh, do another uh, interview here, and I'm, uh, I'm, getting the, uh, I'm getting the stares and these uh, eyeballs from my uh, staff here, so uh, that's my signal. Well, I, I have uh, thoroughly we... enjoyed this, and uh, thank you so much for what you do. Well, we would love to have you back, and we appreciate you being on the show, Congressman. Go have a great day. Thank you. Thank Thank you you very much, guys. Appreciate it. All the the best. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay. Well, that was uh, a a, uh, a spirited conversation and uh, somebody that I would give my vote to. Um, So, uh, Tim, what's your thought on that? Yeah, absolutely. And we, when we come back from break, Lou, I want to kind of go uh, tit for tat with you on some of the places around the country that are feeling the pain of this port slowdown. Uh, it's just starting to show up in the nightly news uh, for the first time in the last week, even though it's been going on for nine months. So let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. All Metals and Forge Group manufactures open-die forgings in blocks, hubs, shafts, flanges, cylinders, gear blanks, and custom forge shapes, including seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, nickel alloys, copper and titanium for parts and assemblies in aerospace, oil and gas exploration, defense, machinery, transportation, shipbuilding, energy and power, pulp and paper, and many other industries. Visit steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. 
Yeah, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We just had uh, Congressman uh, Rod Blum from the 1st District of Iowa on the show, uh, kind of giving us an update on a number of topics, including the slowdown at the West Coast ports. And we're kind of taking a look now at what the impact of this has been. Uh, for those of you who are aware of it, you know that we've been reporting on it now for uh, almost two months. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier than that, but really getting into depth on it. And now we're going to take a look at, you know, across the country, what is happening because of the port slowdown. Because it's not just the workers at the ports who are, you know, they're getting less work. They're not uh, getting the number of workers. This is a, a ripple effect all across the country that's hurting everyday folks. Um Lou, you want to take the first shot across somebody's bow, or should I? Uh, be my guest. I, I've got a whole list here, but uh, you've got the ball. Okay, I'll take uh, automotive news first. If you're wondering what's happening with Honda, Toyota, Subaru, uh, Honda has had to adjust production at six plants. Honda Manufacturing of Indiana in Greensburg. Honda of America Manufacturing in uh, Marysville, Ohio, East Liberty, uh, and the Honda engine plants, Honda Transmission Manufacturing of America in Ohio, Russell's Point, Honda of Canada Manufacturing in Alliston, Ontario. Uh, e even though that was uh, a reduction there, uh, some of that was that there was a holiday, so they managed to dodge a bullet for a day. But they are beginning to ramp back their production lines because they cannot get parts. While Toyota is airlifting parts, and mind you, this is not necessarily lightweight stuff. It is part of their regular supply chain, but it's an expensive part of their supply chain. Uh, Subaru has been uh, airlifting parts since January. So the automotive industry is starting to experience a slowdown. Now, keep in mind, the automotive industry had their best year in probably 16 years last year. And now because of a port slowdown, they're going to get hit, uh, kind of sucker punched, and there's going to be a, be pain in the GDP about this. Uh, uh, Congressman Blum mentioned a 1% drop in GDP was a possibility. Lou, I think it's going to be more than 1%. Heck, we saw a snowstorm last year that knocked us from 1.5 positive to 2 negative. I think we're going to see closer to a 3%. Uh, because if they ended the port slowdown today, it's going to take six months to clear out the port and the harbor. There's 400,000 containers in the water and several hundred thousand sitting on the pier. Last week, the uh, Transport uh, Association on the West Coast, a membership of 70 uh, transportation companies, have called a force majeure and they are now refusing to go in to pick up the goods. So even if you have the workers there, even at a reduced rate, you have nothing to load the freight onto. So the truckers are down. Uh, the uh, Canadian uh, Pacific uh, Railroad last week went on strike for 10 days, uh, but they're smarter than the port people because they signed a contract and they went back. Uh, it, it has a uh, crippling effect from coast to coast and coast to coast. Um, I think that uh, the, the department stores are now beginning to feel it. We mm -hmm. had a couple of gentlemen from the National Retailers Association uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, at the moment, I don't recall his name. Perhaps you do, Tim. Uh, and he was uh, complaining about the fact that uh, there's no inventory coming in. And, uh, you know, you have uh, a new season coming up, and all, the, all that merchandise is on those 400,000 containers. So I'm looking at the bigger picture, uh, but, you know, the small manufacturer, obviously he's hurting. He can't afford to carry the weight of an employee to be the nice guy, so they put him on furlough. And there are companies all over the United States that are in that same predicament. Tim? And as, as a matter of fact, if any of you listening want to express your pain, please send us an email to info at mfgtalkradio.com. We'd love to hear from you because this issue isn't going to go away quickly. Just to give you a sense of what's happening up in Portland, 
there is a major container shipping line called Hanjin, H-A-N-J-I-N, and they have decided that that port is so unreliable that they've pulled out. They're not going to service the port anymore. Now, they've got a couple of problems. One, that's 78% of the shipping business in and out of Portland just went away. And the port operator is only five years into a 25-year lease, and he's standing there with empty hands in terms of a major shipper. So Portland is now crippled, and if Portland's crippled, Oregon's going to hurt real bad. And that's big agriculture up there. One out of eight jobs in Oregon is an agricultural job. That's going to take a hit. Can you imagine what's going to happen to their state GDP? Do you think that the uh, port people, the longshoremen up in Portland, will continue to get their $147,000 salary? Absolutely. Those are Class A permanent position jobs. So that means they're going to be playing gin rummy instead of Mm. unloading (laughs) containers. Very bad, very bad. Oh, this is going to be tough. You know, there's a, we've heard from a lot, a lot of small business owners who have taken, you know, real nasty hits. Uh, uh, Julie Nomi, who's the production manager of Tomboy uh, Exchange, it happens to be a women's apparel startup in Seattle. Can you imagine being a startup and your goods are on containers and those goods you needed for Valentine's Day and they had their sales disrupted by close to $100,000 a month. But as you look at the West Coast ports and all of the goods that we export through the ports, there are companies and businesses overseas that buy from us, and they now look at us as an unreliable resource. So they get their goods someplace else in the world. We're not the only place that puts out corn or wheat or barley or pork or beef or Christmas trees. They can be sourced anywhere in the world. And they're not coming back. No, they they tend not to come back. Uh, In 2002, in the strike, the Japanese candy makers used to purchase almonds from the United States. And when that strike hit, they began buying Turkish almonds. They have never come back. And some of these folks, you're right, Lou, they will never come back. Those contracts uh, are lost. Uh, as on, a, on a slightly different note, uh, there, is some, there is some good news here. Uh, Ooh, we'll take good news. Well, you have to kind of be, use your imagination. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if, you draw, if you draw a line between Dallas and, uh, I think, Chicago, di- diagonally across, uh, that on the right side of the line represents uh, uh, 60% of the population. And the left side of the line for the rest of the country is 40% of the population. And yet we have about 60% of the goods coming through uh, the West Coast. So there seems to be a bit of an imbalance. So let me throw some numbers around here. The fastest growing ports in the United States are the following. Um, Savannah, Georgia. They're their handling of uh, goods and containers is now 12% of the total. Norfolk, Virginia, 11%. Port Everglades, and I thought there was only alligators there, is 11%. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida, 10%. Charleston is 10%. Uh, Boston is 6%. New Jersey is 3%. Um, so that totals somewhere is around 50 of the total uh, containers are now coming to the East Coast. Uh, California, look out. Your time is coming. Well, you're exactly right, Lou. In 2002, the West Coast ports actually brought in about 60% of the goods into the United States. Uh, In 2014, they brought in less than 44% before they started irritating everybody. And the big corporations cannot take these kind of disruptions to their supply chains, but they've got the wherewithal to say, okay, let's buy a million square feet in North Carolina, and we'll move our distribution center there, 
and we'll do it because we could come in from the port of Charleston or the port of Savannah just as easily one or the other. And, oh, by the way, several of the access road systems will take an overweight truck, which the California road systems will not. So we can run more freight in fewer containers more efficiently. Yes, it's going to cost us some money to move, but as Lou just pointed out, two-thirds of the population is east of that line. So why wouldn't we be bringing in two-thirds of our goods on the East Coast port? And that's exactly what's going to happen. California will continue to raise taxes on business, operate inefficiently, and if it breaks off and floats into the sea, no one may notice. So that's where we are with <laughs> that's where we are in California. Uh, I'm not sure how well they're going to recover from this. Uh, they've got themselves in a nasty place. Uh, we were talking to the uh, president of the Texas Manufacturers Association. It's actually Texas Association of Manufacturers, TAM or TAM. And he told us that a 1,000 people a day are moving into Texas because, as the congressman earlier in our show pointed out, Texas is booming. And they lead the nation in all job startups across all categories. And guess where about half of those people are moving from? They're moving from California. So there goes your tax base, California. Well, there's another uh, industry group that's leaving uh, California by the droves, moving to your part of the country, uh, the aerospace industry. Uh, mm-hmm. I, did a re- I did a research project about six months ago and found that at that time there was 105 companies that left California and moved to North and South Carolina, Georgia, and uh, Alabama. And that's the going to be the next aerospace uh, center in the country. No unions, no taxes, tax abatement for 20 years, no real estate tax, and the state helps you find property and helps you get the funding to build manufacturing facilities. So also with, uh, I think it's in Georgia, if, if I'm correct, Tim, how many movie studios do you now have in Atlanta that have left California? They've actually had uh, 15 sound stages built over the last five years. They have 15 that are uh, in in uh, some stage of being built, and they have another 20 on the drawing board. And, and Lou correctly points out what's happening in the southeast United States is that the southeast passed right-to-work laws, which basically says you do not have to be a member of a union to have a job. So companies across the country, particularly in states where the unions are beating them up for big bucks and big benefits, are saying, you know, we have an alternative. And as the congressman pointed out when he was a businessman, capital is mobile. It will move, and it's moving to the southeast United States. So you're exactly right, Lou. That's what's going to happen, continue to happen. So who's going to turn the lights out in Los Angeles when it <laughs> slips off the uh, main coast? No, that's the uh, comptroller's job. The, the, the chief financial officer of California, as with any company, their, their job is to cut all expense. And they do that by uh, at last move is to fire themselves and turn off the lights. So that could be Thanks. where California is headed. <laughs> So, you know, I look uh, at, uh, I'm sorry, but I look at uh, uh, Pedigo Irvine. Uh, they, that's a four-person company. They make uh, electric bikes. They get their frames from China, but they're now unable to get their frames. So now they're having a, a struggle keeping even four employees employed. And worse than that, their customers look at them and say, what do you mean you can't deliver my bike? I ordered my bike four months ago. And you can't deliver my bike. They don't understand that the frames are in the containers on the ships bobbing around outside of San Pedro. Uh, I look at uh, Lisa Foster, who's the owner of One Bag at a Time. She's a one-person company. And her bags come in, and they're, they're reusable shopping bags. But they come in from overseas. Uh, guess what? They're in containers. So basically, not only is she out of business, temporarily she's out of a job how's she paying her bill but you know this is why 
the situation on the West Coast is getting no sympathy. These people are making heavy six-figure salaries with heavy six-figure benefits, and they're crying the blues. We don't care. So that's uh, something that they're going to have to take a look at going forward. Uh, Tim, while you were going on a bit of a Timmy there, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I did some research here uh, because I had asked uh, a congressman a question about the Taft-Hartley Act. And uh, the Taft-Hartley does not need a strike to be invoked. It could be the fear of a slowdown or the fear of disruption of trade. So the Taft-Hartley can be invoked without a strike. And if the congressman is listening, uh, I just wanted to address that point. So So why haven't they done it? This administration has allowed this fragile economy to go to the edge of a cliff because they don't have the political courage, as the congressman said he has, to pull the trigger and hit some, wrap somebody over the knuckles with a ruler. That's incredible. I didn't realize that. Yep, yep. Um, it, uh, I'm looking at it right in front of me. It's uh, the fear of a strike or work slowdown or interruption of trade. So um, I don't know exactly why Mr. O- Obama chooses not to, other than the fact in the State of the Union message, he did make a statement very loud and clear, and I will quote him, we must keep our union strong. Well, to me, that means he's in favor of unions. He doesn't want to go against the unions. The Democratic Party doesn't want to go against the unions. And the only reason for that is there's an election coming up in two years. That's right. It's, their vote. it's part of their big voting block. That's it. That's it. They want to make sure that they're securing their votes. Everyone's going to be unemployed by then, but uh, you'll still get your votes. Yeah, the, the you know the little guy be darned. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, will keep the union strong, but you'll get screwed. Uh, and that's really unfortunate. Uh, you know, uh, there's another company, Marty Olson of Mastercraft Furniture, who spoke about local impacts of the Port of Portland negotiations. He says, my materials have been severely impacted, especially since January. I've had numerous containers diverted to other ports. You have to hear this comment to understand it. I'm a small business owner. I'm in Portland, Oregon. I'm on the West Coast. I'm on the Pacific West Coast. And here's this comment. I had a container diverted to the East Coast, and it was lost for three weeks. Do you know how much it's going to cost them to move that container from the East Coast to the West Coast, he's losing money on every job. It's this about four thousand. It's about four thousand dollars to switch coasts, and then he's got to truck it back, which is going to cost uh, about another four or five thousand. So he gets he's getting hammered. Oh, he is getting hammered. Uh, I was looking at uh, some of the other things that are going on across the nation in terms of pain. Um, one of the states, uh, several of the people up in Oregon are asking their state representatives, uh, why can't you do anything about this? And their comment back has been, it has to come from the federal level. Well, something is wrong in a state where you can't control your own ports by your own state laws. I mean, there is uh, in the Constitution states' rights. And if you've allowed or deferred to the federal government to clean up the messes that the local union is creating, I suggest you talk to your legislature and get that straightened out because you can't allow it to happen any longer. That'll happen real quick. (laughs) Yeah, that's 2050, 2075, that should be somewhere out there. By the way, it's not just the unions because the, the port, Management Authority, the PMA, has, uh, you know, it takes two to tango. Uh, We have had walk-offs in Portland. We have had uh, slowdowns in Los Angeles. The PMA is now beginning to close the port because they don't want to pay overtime. Why would they pay overtime rates, double-time, triple-time on holidays when the unions only send a third or a tenth of the number of people to the ports to actually work? But you're still going to pay all the other union employees. This is silly. 
and they're sending the Class B employees who are less experienced. Yes. So that uh, that makes for a worse situation. No doubt. No doubt. So that's what's happening with the West Coast port situation. It's not pretty. Uh, as, as Lou, as you and I read it, and you said it correctly, even if they sign the deal today, and there's no guarantee of that, it's going to be six months before they unravel the mess and begin to move goods efficiently. So uh, second quarter GDP, that might take a hit too. Um, and uh, uh, Secretary of Labor, Tom Perez, Perez, if you happen to be listening, where are you? You left on Saturday and to the West Coast to get involved in negotiations, and the news media seems to have misplaced you. We don't know where you are, what you're doing. There's no comment from the White House. You're off the radar, and uh, today's Tuesday. So if you do yeah. find yourself, speak up. Yeah, I guess he must have uh, had a federal holiday on Monday which is the celebration of President's Day. I don't think anybody's celebrating what this president is doing for this port situation because it's really hurting everybody. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm looking at literally dozens of comments we don't have time to go to on the air from people all over the country and from all kinds of businesses, all walks of life, who've been hurt by the port situation. And not to mention, by the way, that some of those jobs that are being reduced in Ours are union jobs in the other parts of the country. So your brotherhood on the West Coast ain't helping you guys. Well, that's a good place for us to kind of wind wind up this story. Uh, we can talk a moment or three about uh, uh, next week's show. Uh, we do have uh, a new topic that we haven't addressed yet. Uh, and that is about uh, 3D printing. So we're going to have uh, a primer show about 3D printing, and we are going to have uh, Liz Lennon and Peter Lidner, who are assistant professors of engineering at Manhattan College in Riverdale, New York. Uh, they are going to give us uh, the nitty-gritty inside scoop on what 3D printing is all about, which I'll have to uh, brush up on before then. So uh, that's uh, that's going to be our next week's show. And uh, in about an hour and a half, for those of you who have not tuned in to this entire show, you'll be able to go on uh, mfgtalkradio.com, and you'll be able to listen to this uh, show in its entirety. And uh, also on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, um, at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, this will be rebroadcasted for those who uh, prefer to listen to us either on the way home or uh, when you're in the comfort of your home. Uh, I'm not sure if the topic gives much comfort, but uh, that's, uh, that's a wrap from me, uh, Tim. It's up to you. Okay, Lou. Yes, the 3D printing show is quite exciting. I just read an article that they have completed in six weeks, mind you, the 3D printing of a Shelby Cobra, a running operating car. It's beautiful. No, really? <laughs> they really <laughs> did. And, and they just came up. This is the national uh, laboratory uh, in the, uh, the Northwest and the Pacific Northwest. They have just developed a little, it's a clip-on uh, a device to clip onto your cell phone, which converts it into a high-powered microscope capable of a thousand times resolution, and it costs one dollar. So tune in next week to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Catch us on Twitter or Facebook, and we look forward to you listening to our show again then. Bye for now, talk. folks. Take care, Tim. We'll talk to you. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.